Romans 12. A countercultural community. That's what we are. We are different. Two processes going on in review. One is, according to 12.1, that we're living but also dying at the same time. That's what we do as Christians. And then also uh, in chapter 12 and verse 2, we're always not conforming but always transforming. So those are two things that are antithetical to one another, uh, but that's what makes us countercultural. Dying but living transforming and not conforming at the same time. We also made clear a couple times that the remainder of the structure of the chapter is built off of that first contrast. Not this, but this. Not conformed, but transformed. That structure is used six times. Uh, two at the beginning of the text, 12, 2, and 3, and then three at the end, or four at the end in chapter 12, verses 16, and all the way to the end in verse 21. And that sets the framework for what a countercultural community is. It's not this, but this. And we have tried to say on both sides of the equation that we are not Christians who only emphasize we don't do things. There is plenty of that in Scripture. There are a lot of prohibitive, negative commands, and they have their place, and they are good, and we would never want to minimalize them. But that's only half of what Christianity is. There are a lot of things that we don't do But the reason we don't do them is because we want to do all the positive things. And so there is not conforming, but transforming. And as we go through perhaps next week, and we see how the vertical of that structure between us and God in verses 1 and 2 demonstrates itself and how we are a community on the horizontal level. And so, Lord willing, next week we're going to be able to tackle that. But to close up shop on these first two verses tonight... I wanted to talk about a little bit more about what it means to think like a Christian because here's what, um, here's what chapter 12, verse 2 says, that we renew our minds. Thinking is a big, again, also used uh, a number of times, two, two couple different times at the beginning and again at the end, three or four more times. Thinking, the verb thinking and even the word mind is used numerous times in this text. And so thinking affects feeling and affects doing, and that is a huge concept. Um, And I had you tonight have your own testimonies about how when you became a Christian, your thinking changed. And we are different. Um, Let me tell you that the world and us, we don't think alike. I'm watching the news last night, and they have these two excerpts back-to-back. The first one is on the huge thing about leaking the decision of the Supreme Court on the Roe v. Wade decision and how everybody in the uh, abortion rights movement and all those people for that position are up in a, you know, they're really upset and, uh, you know, they're demanding women's rights and all that sort of thing. And I'm watching as these, they're outside the Supreme Court and all these people out there chanting and screaming, like, it's almost like, cheering this soup's cheering and saying things back to them and this group's cheering against them it's you know i thought i was at a high school basketball game or something for a minute there but they're saying all these things and then they go around they start interviewing people and they start saying you know that they deserve to have it a woman's body she should have her own choice and all this and they and they, they say how wrong it is to inconvenience women to have to get an abortion and travel to another state 
how awful that is. And I'm, I'm thinking about that. And then right after that excerpt, they have an excerpt on the war in Ukraine. And you, the president comes on. Other people are saying, oh, you know, this, this is atrocities. And Putin is a war criminal. And they're, you know, you've probably, if you've watched any of it, they bombed hospitals. Uh, children have been killed. They've bombed shelters knowing that there are tons of young people and little kids in there and how awful it is and that he should be tried and, and, and everyone's upset about it. Now, see, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking like, I'm looking at these two pictures and I'm going like, who's the war criminal? I'm going, Putin's killing kids and, and lots of people and we kill more people in America, babies, every day than all the wars that have ever taken in the whole world. He's a war criminal, and we're just exercising choice. Is that making sense to you? I looked it up. Did you know there's more rights by the spotted owl? They have more rights in the box turtle in Hamilton than an unborn child. Right? Now, see, the world thinks that way. You can decry Putin how awful he is, and he's killing people, but you just kill millions of babies and do it all the time, and it's a choice. See, to, to me, that doesn't make any sense. That's twisted thinking. But you know what the Bible says? That's what it, the world is like. But we are different. Not better, in that sense, different. Now, let me show you. And, and, and again, I'm not trying to be too technical tonight, but you can't see it as well in the English, but... In, in Romans 12, 2, here's what it says. And I'm going to read it to you and give you the translation, right? Verse 2, don't be conformed to this world in contrast, the strongest contrast possible, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, we think differently. Transformation starts in the way that you think, right? Now, listen, why does your mind change? What does that mean? Here it is, that by testing you may discern. That whole phrase is one Greek word. It's dokimazo. And here's what it means. To test the, the validity or the purity of something by testing it or heating it up. In other words, you have to really think through something and to test and see if it's real and good and then you'll know it's right. Here's what it says. Christians, because their minds are being renewed, look at other scriptures, Colossians 3, other places, are being renewed by the Spirit of God with the Word of God. Our minds are being renewed. Here's, we have the ability to test things that are going on in our world to prove whether they are, let me use the text, the will of God. And the adjectives describing it are good and acceptable. Those are all worship sacrifice terms. Remember I told you, you can't offer sacrifices, i.e. verse 1. You can't offer and be a living sacrifice if there's something wrong with it, if it's defective, it's got blemish. You can't do that. So here's what we're able to do. Christians have now the mind of Jesus and the scriptures to help them think through and say, oh, I, I don't do that because that's tainted, that's blemished. There's a defect in that way of thinking and that way of living, so I don't do that anymore. And the word that describes it, discern, is dokimazo. It means to approve something after thinking it through and testing it. Ready? We're a counter-cultural community. The same word is used twice in contrast, complete opposite, 
in chapter 1, if you'll turn there, of Romans chapter, 20, chapter 1, verse 28. I'm going to read it in context. And I want to show you, I said this big phrase last week, I'm going to explain it more. We have an epistemological crisis in our America in our day. And by that I mean epistemology is the study of how you know things. The world has a problem with how they know things. Right? Let me show you what I mean. And the word know is used in chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God. Now, here's the problem. It's not that the world doesn't know God exists. It's that they know it and they don't want it. All right? So chapter 1, verse 21. Look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Notice the word know in the middle of the word acknowledge. It's the, that is our word, dokimazo. It means they knew God, but they didn't approve of him. In other words, they know him, they know somewhat what he's like, and what they know of him, they don't want anything to do with him. It's the root problem in our culture. Right? So that same word. We are thinking in our minds as Christians, we think through things and test them biblically so that we can see whether they're approved by God's will. The world takes God out of the equation because they don't approve of him. But that's not all they do. Watch, verse 28. They, since they did not approve of God, God gave them over to a debased. Circle the word debased because, believe it or not, it's the same word. Idakimazo. It means approved after testing. In other words, here's what happens. Let me say it to you this way. All right, I wrote down this. When you won't approve of God... You will approve of godlessness. Okay? When you won't approve of God, you will approve of godlessness. Or you can say it this way. When you won't, won't, notice I didn't say can't. When you won't think clearly about God, you won't think clearly about sin. So here's what it says. And since they didn't approve of God, God gave them over to having a mind that they wouldn't approve what was right and they'd do all things that are wrong. That was my translation. See, that's what's taking place in our world. And then he says this. Go back a little bit, okay? Verse 24, back up a little bit. There are three things. I just want you to underline, this isn't a text. We're not doing the whole text tonight, but... Circle this because I want to tell you what, what's happening in the world and what you can do to help your family not do it. Okay, verse 24. Therefore, because they, don't know, they know God, but they don't honor him. And can I just stop there? The word honor means to glorify. If you don't hear anything else I say tonight, listen to this. The number one problem in every person in the world is that they don't value God. Glorify means to make much of, to know and demonstrate the infinite value and worth. And what you're going to see in this text is here's, when you don't value God, you will value substitutes for God. Okay? Now, in this text, it's incredible because they just go way down. God is infinitely valuable, and they go down to valuing 
things that are creatures more than the creator. Idols that they make, sun, moon, stars, they bow down and worship them. An animal, and, and they've all, see, see, they go down from the infinite God and they don't even do it to the next image, which is man. They do animals and, and created planets and sun and all that. See, so it goes downhill. And our problem is, hear me, and we still at times struggle as Christians. Every sin is what you do when you don't value God supremely. See, as Christians, it's not that we don't value him at all, but we still sin. You know why? Because we don't value him supremely. At times, we choose valuing a car over him or a house over him, listen, or a person over him or our children over him or a job over him or financial security over him or having our way over him. And it's not that we don't value him whatsoever. It's we don't value him supremely. And the world has a huge issue with that. And when they don't, here's what they do. They start making exchanges. And you can see it in the text. God gives them up, verse 24, 26, and 28. God gave them up. See, here's what happens. They make three exchanges, 23, 25, 26. They exchange this for this. God and then they become homosexuals. They change that, they become lesbian. They change that and they do this and they worship idolatry and so forth. And then God says, and here is the consequence for all of that. God gave them up, verse 24. God gave them up, verse 26. God gave them up, verse 28. And we live in a culture right now that has ex- no God has excluded him and they are exchanging him for far lesser substitutes. And God says, you want that? You can have that. And then the Bible says this, listen. There are 21 things. You look over, I have to turn the page, but it says they were, verse 29, they don't approve of God, they, they don't approve, they do approve of godlessness. And watch this, circle it. They are filled, circle that, filled, with manner of unrighteousness, next they are full of envy. So what happens is, watch, they practice a lifestyle. If you are empty of God, you will be full of sin. And this list does not mean, the point of the list is not saying every society or culture that goes away from God will do all these things and everyone will be doing all. No, it's an idea of a sample. This is what it's like, and ultimately where all cultures go, where America is headed right now, because we've taken God out of everything. And so there's 21 things on the list. 21 of them. Let me read them for you. Envy, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, watch, disobedient to parents, well, that's a weird one to put in the middle of all those, isn't it? Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now, before this passage, at the end of it, here's the sandwich. Again, watch verse 32. They know God and his righteous decrees. See, it's not that they don't know him. It's that once they know him, they don't want him. They don't want his authority. Is that not, hear me, is that not the sin of Adam and Eve? What is Satan's lie to them? If you eat of the tree that is forbidden, 
God doesn't want you to, and why doesn't he want you to? Someone tell me. Because you will what? Yeah, you will have knowledge of good and evil. It's, listen, that does not mean, oh, they didn't know what good and evil was before, and now they'll know what it is. That's not, the knowledge of the good and evil is you get to decide what is right and wrong. See, God is the only one who had access to the tree. He is the authority. He is the arbiter of right and wrong. And, and he's, he told them, this is what you can do. All the trees eat of that. Abundant, yes. Single, solitary, no. Don't eat from this. See, God tells you this is right and this is wrong. Now notice God never explained why. He just said, my word says this is right and this is wrong. Satan says, you eat of the tree, and guess what? You can decide what's right and wrong. Sound familiar? That's America. That's America. When you get rid of God, you decide what's right and wrong. Now listen, look at that list of 21 things. Who in their minds would have ever thought in the day in which we live that we'd ever see all the things that are taking place? Would you ever have thought that we'd have all these things taking place in our culture? But I'm going to tell you this, and it don't take any joy in it. It's going to get worse. It's going to get a lot worse. Why? Because we do not approve of God. And they put the little article, ah, dakimazo, ah, meaning I don't approve, I don't accept, I don't want Adam and Eve in every one sense. See, we don't want God telling us what to do. We don't want it. And that is the root problem in our culture today. So go back and, and, and turn to Romans chapter 12. Here's what he says. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Testing so that you can approve what is the will of God. Someone tell me, and I'm not, you may be close or not, I don't know, but it's okay. What do you think he means? What do you think he means when you could approve by testing what is the will, what is the phrase the will of God mean? What, what is Paul saying? That when you get a new mind as a Christian, and you, by the way, it's a passive verb. It keeps getting renewed. Christians' minds are always, read the Bible, Holy Spirit works in you, keeps teaching you to think different. It's not you're there once you get saved, you zap with the mind of Christ and it's all done. It's a continual trajectory in a process. So you're always learning to think more and more like Jesus, more and more like God all the time. And he says, and when you do that, you start testing things and then you'll be able to know what the will of God is. And then he adds to it, if it's good and acceptable. What do you think he's saying, Mike? Right, so we wanted to define right and wrong and so renewing your mind is submitting your mind to God and letting him teach you once and again what is right and wrong in any given situation. So we're trying to learn the will of God. Now let me ask you, I know I don't have time tonight. Everybody asks me, if you're 18 and older, you probably have asked someone along these lines. Have you ever asked someone, I've had more times than I can imagine, 
Pastor Walker, how do I know the will of God for my life? I'm making major decisions. Where should I go to college? And who should I marry? And should I take this job? What about this career? How do I know this? And how do I know that? And people want me to say, well, here's the magic wand and I'll wave it and God will just come down while you're shaving in the morning in the mirror and he'll start, no. Can I, let me, it's not this simple, but it's close. Let me give you one phrase. The will of God is the word of God. It's not primarily subjective. Can I give you a hint for your lives and teaching your kids growing up? Here's what you tell them about the will of God. He's not nearly as concerned about the things the Bible doesn't say that you should do. Get married to who? Have a job here. Live in Tennessee. He, let me tell you, he's not nearly as concerned about any of that as he concerned about you doing objectively what he said. I tell you this. You know what the will of God is? Go home and work on this. Your character. Go be the person you ought to be. Because when you have... God's character on the inside and you think like he thinks and you desire like he wants. This is why Psalm 37 says what? Psalm 37, 4. Say it again, Mike. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And le- what does he say? Yep. That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Yes. He will give you the desires of your heart. That means what? Then you attach your mind to his, you attach your heart to his, see, and you'll stay, oh, now I know whether I should take that job or not because I know what he's like and I know what he would do. I know how he would think about that. And he would say, oh, don't date her. Or he would say, oh, no, 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 not that job. See, he, he would do differently. So here's what he's saying, right? Look at the text. That you may be able to discern what is the will of God what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Take your Bibles and turn to two other texts. I want to show you how important this is when it comes to worldliness. Matthew 16, first. How important is this for you and your children? From that time forward, Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Just don't read over that. That is a mentality. That is a way of thinking. This is what the Jesus kingdom is about. It's not go to Jerusalem, overthrow the Romans, set up my kingdom, and I'll rule on a throne. Here's what Jesus' will is, the will of God for Jesus. Go, die, suffer, die, crucify, risen. Ready? Peter took him aside. Can you get this one? And began to rebuke him. Now, you know what that means? It means he grabbed him by the shoulders. Have you done this to someone? I'm doing a text on Sunday morning for mothers. And it says, his mom and his brothers and sisters came to get him because he was out of his mind. <laughs> it's like they, they look at Jesus and they go, no. What are, you, can't, that, you can't be thinking that. Peter comes to Jesus, grabs him by the shoulders and says, Jesus, come on. 
You're not going to be crucified. You're not dying. You're not suffering like that. Come on. You're not thinking right. Would you ever tell him that? Um, don't get on your knees tonight and say, Jesus, listen, I know you say this, but you really need to rethink this. Nobody talks to Jesus. Yes, they do. Peter does. And he tells them, I'm rebuking you. Here's why I'm rebuking you. Look, this, far be it from you, Lord, this shall double negative. This shall never, ever happen to you. Why? Now watch what the Bible says. Jesus turns to Peter and talks to Satan. That's not complimentary. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Why? Because he wants you to know the whole conversation he's had with Peter is about right and wrong thinking. Watch. For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. I have found this, that when the Bible uses the phrase setting your mind on things, it's always in a contrast. Let me show you one more. Hold your finger here because we're going to come back real quick before we end. Colossians chapter 3. The only exact phraseology using this, this phrase, setting your mind, that I know of is found in Matthew 16 and chapter 3 of Colossians. If you then, verse 1 of 3, Colossians 3, 1, if you then be raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Here's the phrase again. Set your mind. Now, see, Jesus says to Satan, i.e. Peter, you are thinking about man things, not God things. Paul will say it the same thing, just a slightly different way. He says, set your mind on heaven things, not on earth things. That's the same thing. So see, there are think, see, the thinking determines everything. Do you see why you need to renew your mind? Do you see why you need to know the scriptures? You need to be able to have such a command on them that when you don't have your Bible, that you can think through issues and you can understand, oh, this is how I should view this. This is how I should see. And there's a list of 21 sins and you should say, I know how to handle. Here's why, because Paul would say this in Romans 1. You need to connect God to all of these things. If you murder, it's a God issue. You know, if you gossip against someone, it's a God issue. Do you know that if you disobey your parents, it's a God thing? See, here's what the world does. I disconnect God from everything. The Christian says this, I connect God to everything. That's why we're the countercultural community. We think differently. And here's what Paul says. And the word if in Colossians 3 is a word that it really should be translated because or since. Since you are raised with Christ. If you're a Christian and you're resurrected, you don't think down here. You don't think down here. And so I think differently about what I watch on TV and how I look at the internet, right? And, and I, I think differently about how to raise my children and how I use my money and how I see people. And, and on and on and on and on it goes. Because your job and mine this week, when you leave here tonight, you know what it is? Connect him to everything. And all the things you've disconnected him from will become sin in your life. So he says, back to Matthew 16, let me say it one more time, even more seriously. There's only two choices. You're either setting your mind on things of man 
or things of God, or your mind is on heavenly things or earthly things, and can I tell you what's at stake in the difference? Ready? One is of God and one is of Satan. See, worldliness is not just a problem that your kids might do some bad things or you might do some bad things. Worldliness is what you do when you disconnect God from everything in your thinking and living. And so the end of chapter 1 of Romans says this. After the long list of 21 things, here's what it says. Not only are the people who do them worthy of death, but it says, and the people who approve of them. See, I heard people say, well, I would never be a homosexual, but I think they ought to be, you know, if they want to be, it's okay. It's worldly. I wouldn't do it, but if somebody else does, it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay to God because we've disconnected him from that view. And here's what he says. You need to connect me to everything. You need to approve, since you have a new mind and you've approved of me in the sense that you agree and you want me in your world, then here's what you do. You live like it. Because the alternative is the way that Satan goes. He wants you to not let God in your world at all. And although you know God, he wants you to disconnect him from everything. And so, see, everything, listen, as simple as, what do I do when I get up in the morning? How, how late do I stay up at night and when do I get up? See, I always tell them, am I coming to church or am I not coming to church? See, these are things to me that are as simple as basic. But see, I, I, get a, I tell my kids, you know why you ought to come to church? Listen, and you ought to be on time to church and you ought to stick around for a few minutes afterwards to see if you can bless people. Why? Because you know what it does? It communicates God's worth. You go to work every day and your boss tells you, I want you here by 8 o'clock. And you get there at 8.10. Probably, well, I don't know anymore, but you might not have a job for long. Maybe they don't care anymore. I don't know. But what are you telling your boss when you don't show up on time? Alan told me their wedding is at 2 and he's showing up at 3. Now he's not. He's not doing that. Why? Because what would it say about Joan? Not anything good. Right? So let me tell you this. You wouldn't show up to an a, a, a NBA playoff game if it was $320 a piece. You'd be there, and you'd have the, was it, tailgate party. You'd be early for that. You'd get off of work, take some time. You'd be there. You'd spend some money. You'd buy some foam fingers, and you'd be, you, right? All that stuff. And you'd be doing all that. But what about God? Don't bring foam fingers to church Sunday. Don't do that. But you know what he's, listen, let's glorify him. Let's honor him. Let's show him. You know, I don't feel the greatest today, and I stayed up. <laughs> we didn't. But let's say you did, two in the morning, and I got to get up and go to church, and I'm really tired. And here's what I say. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> you are really, really tired, and guess what you get? That gives you an opportunity to tell God, I am so tired, and I'm going to go to church. You know why? I want to tell you, you are worth it. You are worth it. I'm watching the people on Ukraine who don't even, aren't even professional soldiers and they're doing all this and they're out there, their wives get on the train, their kids leave the train, on the train 
And they're getting there and they're saying, I may never see you again. And they pick up some gun and they're going to go off thinking most likely I'm, I'm going to die. You know what they're doing? It's a communication. You are worth it, Ukraine. You are worth my family protecting and keeping. You are, see, they're making a statement. That every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and Wednesday night, we get to tell God, you are better than feeling great. You are better than a good night's rest. You are better than all the money. You are better than all of that. Our world says, God, you're worthless. And said, therefore, you have a worthless mind. You think nothing of me. You'll think nothing of my commandments. And your life will demonstrate it. And all the consequences that go with it. And here's what we have. We have an opportunity to be a counterculture community that says, oh, he's worth it all. He's worth all of it. And I want to show it every day in all the decisions I make in what I don't do and what I also do so that everyone knows he is the one who's infinitely valuable. Let's pray. Father, help us. We live in a world that makes little or nothing of you. We want to make everything out of you. We want to be radically God-soaked, God-saturated, God-satisfied in such a way, not that we're odd different, we're God different. We want to invite you into everything at Faith Baptist Church. We invite you tonight into our families and into our marriages, into our parenting and into our entertainment, into our social practices and what we see and how we dress and how we look and our attitudes and our hearts and our motives and our desires. We invite you into all of it. Please help us to connect you to everything that the world may see that you're not just someone that we worship religiously on Sunday. But you, God, are our everything. May that be the difference that you use to make in our world. All for your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.